You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, and welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. On our podcast, we focus on where Wealth Tech is today and where we see it headed in the future. I'm fortunate to talk with industry leaders every day about their views on the future of digital and human advice, and we'll do that again now. So thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking with a pioneer around goals-based wealth management. John Thiel is the former head of wealth management at Merrill Lynch, uh, where he was an early advocate of uh, taking a comprehensive view of, of advice at the household level. Today, he is on a variety of boards where he has a front row seat on what's happening in our industry and what's next in wealth tech. So, John, thanks for joining us. It's great to spend some time with you. Jack, thanks for having me. Good to have you on board. So, uh, John, before we get started on your perspective on wealth management, I know you've got uh, some uh, thoughtful and uh, strong views on the matter. We'll talk about where it is now and we'll talk about where it's going. But let's let's first talk a little bit about your background because you've been around our industry for a long time. Uh, you've uh, led large organizations. Obviously, Merrill's no small player in this this whole uh, thing. And you're serving on some boards now that are looking at this issue around wealth tech and around future of uh, digital and human advice. So tell us a little bit about your background and uh, then we'll get into what you're working on today. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. And it really, uh, my background really did inform sort of where I my point of view ended with uh, with my career in the sense of the goals based. I started in public accounting, and I did both tax and audit work, and really understood the impact of tax. I also learned early that when you make a planning decision based on tax savings, it typically doesn't work out well. It, the economic you know thesis has to be there before you consider taxes. I got recruited into the insurance business. Where, uh, you know, when you try to sell life and disability insurance to individuals, you really understand how you've got to take something that's not perceived well and really help them understand that you're funding a liability. You're not, you know, talking about death. Uh, and then planning set introduced to that. And then when I joined Merrill Lynch, it was very interesting to me. No one wanted to do financial planning in 1989. It was my, that's what I did. So I really became an advocate of it and went around and spoke. And the, the point of all that really is th- those three experiences really helped me understand how we could really help people. Back then, planning was static. So you didn't have any kind of dynamic assumptions, return sequence of returns didn't get incorporated. And while it was better than nothing, it really wasn't accomplishing what we needed to. And then we had a couple of crises along the way that proved that that really was important and you had to be more dynamic than, than that. So that's where I started. I stayed involved in the industry, as you suggested. I'm on the board of Franklin Resources, which is Franklin Templeton. I sit on the board of the FINRA Financial Investor Education Foundation, where we really focus on literacy and education, especially in communities that have you know difficult time accessing that kind of education. Uh, I'm on the advisory board of Lightfield, which is a you know which is obviously an important company as we think about really getting to after tax returns and some of the dynamic parts of that planning process that will lead to better outcomes. Uh, I serve a lot in philanthropy. I serve for the uh, the FSU Founda- uh, Foundation. I am a trustee at Florida State University as a trustee, and then I also am very involved with uh, raising money to find a cure for cancer with the V Foundation and spend a lot of my time. So I, while I'm quote unquote retired, it's the new definition of retirement. I'm, I'm pretty busy. 
but all doing things that are important to me and all part-time, which allows me the flexibility to plan to make sure I get the, you know, sort of the downtime that everybody dreams about. That's great. So talk a little bit, if you will, about uh, your assessment of what's going on today. So obviously deep background at Merrill and in the insurance business before that, and now serving on a variety of boards, looking at how advice is rendered, um, whether it's from a product company or a tech company or a just financial literacy, the the broad topic of how you inform uh, clients about how to achieve better outcomes. Uh, certainly advisors are all part of that mix. So talk a little bit about your assessment, what's going on today. We'll talk about the future in a bit, but uh, talk a little bit about what you see today and any observations about what's working, maybe what's not working around sure. uh, the rendering of advice. Well, I'm pretty hopeful. I, I think the industry has made progress, is making progress. While we're not there yet, I do see those you know green shoots uh, and, and, and personally and both you know, obviously listening and talking to other people. One of the things that I think has helped is the notion of digitization. And I think about efficiency. And obviously, we always focus on efficiency for the advisor and for the firm. But as a client, it's important for me to be efficient as well. So I think onboarding and some of the things that lend themselves to digitization, obviously, the going mobile first with a lot of the new innovation is an important component of all that. And I do think that we're making progress there. And that feels good to me. The other thing is that more and more people are saying they're tuned into and their their fundamental basis is a goals-based approach. Now, I don't always see it play out in the way we interact with them or how, how you know a client might see performance returns and things like that, but at least they're all talking about it. And one of the other things that I think supports the fact that that is moving that way is the use of models. And I think a lot of firms, rightfully so, and advisors, more importantly so, realize that quote unquote robo advice or whatever one wants to to put a moniker on it, it really is an efficiency play to have someone run a model that is really tailored for and built around risk appetite, risk uh, tolerance, risk capacity and return expectations, and then deliver that in an automated fashion and regularly report on progress, I think is really important for the firms and the advisors. But it's also very important for clients to know that they have a, a discipline, the discipline's followed, they can see it. And then most importantly, assuming the firm reports to them the fact as to whether they are still on track on, for any of those dynamics, I think is really, really important. And I do see a lot of that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that that's going to continue. So you and I have talked a little bit about this, and I know you're not a big uh trend follower from the standpoint of just buying whatever the media is dishing out at any given time. But the numbers do indicate that more people are retiring. We predicted this for long ago, and it seems to be happening, as I read it, uh, earlier than expected, either because people choose to retire earlier or the highest paid folks tend to be laid off first when, when companies downsize. We, we know that to be true. So more people are retiring. More money is in motion, McKinsey tells us. Big increase there. And now, of course, once you're in retirement, uh, there's no going back. You, the paychecks stop, the expenses continue, and you're in that position now in terms of just being retired and trying to figure out how what's the best way to spend assets and make sure you're being efficient. So maybe talk a little bit about your view on, well, models are great. They tend to be more uh, by account as opposed to by household. So talk a little bit about where you see the world, where, where it is now and where you'd like to see it go uh, as things unfold in the next, uh, in the coming years. Sure. So I'm going to... Take a second and step back and make sure that we're on the right definition of retirement. That's going to be different for everybody. 
for me, it's not in the classic sense that I'm going to collect just the save, you know, the returns from my savings and eventually Social Security. I am actually out doing things to make a little bit and just to stay engaged. I'm uh, a partner and an advisor, senior advisor in a firm called My Next Season. We help executives mostly transition from that crazy, hectic life into whatever's next. So I think more and more people of all means are really deciding, do I want to work full time? And if I don't, can I do something that keeps me busy, that gives me purpose and perhaps might bring in a little of income? And I do see that ramping up dramatically because I think people realize quality of life. COVID, I think, did in a, in a very positive way with all the negative implications it brought was that it allowed people to examine their priorities and really sit and think about what's important in life and do they need all of the stuff or could they redirect those resources towards something new in their next chapter? And so I do see it and it's going to happen more and more. One of the big psychological transitions that has to happen is to that notion that you no longer get a paycheck. And while here I was running Merrill Lynch, I could intellectualize drawing off my portfolio very easily. And I, we have all the analysis I needed and I fortunately had sufficient assets to support my lifestyle. But I will tell you six months in, as you're starting to, and you get a little market downdraft and you're drawing on your savings, it feels really bad. Just because if you were a saver, you just don't want to see that. And, and we can all laugh and, and, and the professionals can slough it off. But behavioral finance is, to me, as important as anything. We're human beings. We're led by behavior and emotion, not by logic. And so I think that we need to do more and more. And it's if we talk about what needs to happen, what needs to happen is we really need to have a decumulation strategy that is simple, that it's direct that uh, it's consumable and that people can execute in a relatively simple and easy way. And it's got to be transparent. So people understand this isn't some you know black box that here's where the returns are coming from. Here's where we're pulling it from. Here's the decisions that were made, you know, to make the recommendation of where you would draw it from. And then literally maybe send them a paycheck if that's what they want. Give, give the, those retirees or those people in that stage of life the option to choose a preference on how they want to receive uh, the income in you know, when they stop receiving a normal paycheck. Chris, you and I have talked a little bit, a bit about this, but uh, at Life we've been at this, what you just described for quite some time and uh, telling the world that the future is coming, it's coming, it's coming. When, and I'm not sure well, whether it was just uh, people got sick of hearing about us and started to agree, or it's just the fact that so many more people have started to retire. But clearly, people are in that mode. When I say people, it's really baby boomers. They're in that mode of trying to figure out how to draw that paycheck, how to pull it together. And I know you're involved with a couple different companies around this, but the idea is how do, how do you apply digitization, digital advice with human advice? Because you need both to your behavioral comment. Maybe talk about that, that what I call the confluence of human and digital advice. What does that look like? What needs to happen? Where, where are we headed? What's next? What's your prediction on how this unfolds in the coming years? Yeah, so I'm just going to go back to the whatever 15 or 20 years ago, and we all had our you know platinum, gold, and silver service model. And basically, depending on the wealth or the sophistication of the client, they got one of the three. And the great thing about technology is, and by the way, I don't think they necessarily wanted it that way, the clients, but that was, you gave them three choices. And and that's what they got. And I think now with digitization, they realize the client, but also the firms 
ability to deliver in a more mass customized way has really improved. And so I think as we think about how that's going to be done, we're going to have to capture preferences of clients, I think, to differentiate ourselves. And then we're going to have to be able to allow them to participate in the process, i.e. give them access to some of these tools. There still, I think, is a reluctance by many uh, firms and advisors to allow clients to um, use the tools that the advisor is using or the firm is using to deliver these recommendations. And I think that's a big mistake because honestly, who are you to tell me I'm not capable of running these scenarios and understanding them? And oh, by the way, it could save you for your firm and your advisor a ton of money if I was doing it two in the morning when I couldn't sleep. So I do think that that has to happen. Now, there's a regulatory reality that you mentioned that I do think has to be addressed. And this happens everywhere. And it was one of the cha- it's one of the challenges with, with goals-based If I want to create a portfolio and I want to optimize the asset location, so putting the most efficient assets in the, let's say, least efficient tax wrapper or vice versa, that's difficult to do because FINRA, and it's it's not FINRA's fault, this is the way the law is written, because the law is written that they have to determine suitability at the account level, not the household level, it prohibits firms from being able to implement a strategy that really fits best for that client as you think about the types of friction that they will incur in doing that. So that that's going to have to happen. We can manage unified households, but if the regulatory regime won't let you implement inside that unified household in a way that's best for the client, then I think it's got to, it's a challenge that we're going to have to overcome as an industry and we've got to bring along our, you know, the FINRA and the SEC to recognize how people behave versus what was written down so many years ago. The good news is lots of firms are working on this issue in terms of building capabilities. And there's a bit of an arms race. And it's less about the individual arms, if you will. It's more about how they come together. In my sense, and see if you'd uh, either push back or agree, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. And that is that as you pull all this together, the client wants to be a part of it. Technology, in my sense, will sort of tee it up. So the the decision making, the decision support is in place around alternatives or possibilities. And also, uh, I'm a big uh, uh, proponent and advocate around quantifying the potential benefit. If you do it right, here's what could happen this way or that way, depending on what what might be applied. But weigh in on that because that technology will be an enabler, but it's not the end game. So maybe talk about that, just that combination. Also, maybe how that plays out with our friends at FINRA because that's clearly something our industry is going to have to confront. Well, obviously, I built my career around the intimacy of a relationship with an advisor and a client. So I applaud the efficiencies that technology brings. I never suggested that it would replace a human being because there are times when things don't make sense. That happens more often than not. I mean, you just have to look at today when you got an inflation number coming out and and then just the knee jerk reactions, which whether they prove to be accurate or not, really can unhinge clients thinking and 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 really help them make them, I should say, reevaluate what's the, ro- the appropriate long term strategy, the noise, if you will. What advisors can do, obviously, is to help them navigate through that. Uh, there was literally a text chain between my two sons, my o- middle son's an advisor, my older son's a technologist. And he was ranting about inflation and, and other costs. And my other son was just trying to, you know, kind of talk him off the ledge. 
I weighed in and said, you know, you could move from Washington, D.C. If you're really worried about cost of living, go live somewhere cheaper. But the fact of the matter is that that was just a simple example of how really intelligent people can get twisted. And that's what technology can't do. I remember talking to the founder of a, of a technology company six or seven years ago, and they had all this Q&A and they had FAQ, frequently asked questions up and all their answers. But they opened up a line and people called and they were frustrated because that was costing them too much to service. But they finally realized that just being able to call and talk to someone and it could be a 12 second conversation, ease that person's point of view and their concern. And so they adopted that as, as part of their service protocol. Just getting back as we evolved as human beings and communities, that is we are not going to evolve that quickly just because technology allows us to. So that's why I think those two things together are an unbeatable combination. Create the efficiency, leverage technology around its, you know, the, the, its learning ability and the, the ways to monitor and manage portfolios and put that in with the planning, the advice, the asset location advice, the withdrawal strategy advice, all those things. And you have, to me, a perfect combination. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Technology is hurrying up to provide a greater ability to pr provide tools that enhance the decision support process because that's how I view it, view it is. It's a, about making decisions and that's very much a, as you've highlighted and I, I concur, is just having that human interaction that sort of testing out ideas. What about this? What about that? Or what haven't I thought about that maybe we should consider? But of course, the, the other issue, I'd love to have you comment on this. You know, we get the inflation numbers that were, just came out today when we're recording this podcast and people get scared and then, frankly, often do the wrong thing or hurry to do the wrong, you know, what may turn out to be the wrong thing just as a reaction. So maybe your comment about that behavioral aspect that will always be in place. Yeah, I just when you think about the economy of the United States of America, historically, currently, prospectively, interday reports really aren't going to be able to accurately predict what's going to happen over and over and over in the future. These are data points. They're important to consider that you, you want to reflect upon them, but in no way should you change your investment strategy for a headline number like that. It's going to be decomposed. It's already been decomposed and it's not nearly as bad as it was expected. And now while media wants to capitalize on any kind of volatility or news, because that's how they make their living, that doesn't mean that individuals should react to it. And if we go back to that long-term strategy and, and how it's enabled and obviously bouncing against your not only your risk tolerance, but something we, have, we, we don't have time to talk about, but it's your, your risk capacity. So how much risk can you take? And if something went wrong, would it derail your plan? We don't talk about that near as much as we should, because that to me is a bigger risk than whether I can stand a 10% up or down. Mm -hmm. Just a, a book I'll recommend to you and our audience, uh, a good friend and colleague of mine pointed out is Robert Schiller's new book on narrative economics, how stories drive behavior for another day. But uh, I highly recommend it. It's really it sort of informs my thinking about how you serve people because they, the news of the day or the news of the hour lately or news of the minute tends to encourage bad behavior, frankly. It always has. Uh, it seems almost worse now. Well, I taught Dale Carnegie for eight years. Stories are an incredibly powerful communication tool. They can be used for and against a point of view. Think of all the greatest speakers that you've listened to in your life. They're all great storytellers. So for the advisors, they need to have the story to tell people about how staying, staying with your plan and working through past historical 
bouts of volatility have turned out well to counteract perhaps the other the narrative economics that he may suggest in his book. Yeah. Interesting stuff for for another day we'll have to actually my colleague who's such a fan he actually runs a large digital uh, marketing agency in Boston and uh, talks about it a lot and works with his clients on that very topic about how do you drive story to benefit obviously your clients as well as uh, your firm so for another day. One other thing I think the industry still needs to to help people with was the notion that we still, even with a unified managed household, we really are just looking at one asset or two asset classes, but it's really just investments. And I really believe, and we are heading this way at Merrill Lynch. It would have taken some work with the SCSC and FINRA, but I we actually wanted to change the first four pages of our statements if people would provide it. And my theory was, if you provided, if you had a format for a personal financial balance sheet and an income statement, that people would give us the data because they want to fix it and make it accurate. Sure. But I don't think people think about all the assets they have, including human capital, in their planning discussions. And I think it's something that we need to help introduce with technology. It seems completely plausible. Yep. And again, we don't get paid a lot of money to do that always as advisors. But I think if you really want to do a good job for clients... We've got to take an even more holistic approach than just the household. Well, that sounds like our next podcast discussion, so we'll have to hold that aside. But uh, I couldn't agree more. I know when I think about my own personal situation, all those factors you just talked about are, are just part of my my calculation. It may not be on my, my statement, but it's uh, very much part of my thinking, or at least my decision-making process. So, so John, as we uh, wrap up, uh, if you'd be kind enough to share three key takeaways from all the things we've talked, we've covered a, a lot here, but uh, three things you'd leave our audience with that uh, might be beneficial as they conduct their day-to-day. So it would be my hope for the industry. Number one, always the most important, you got to continue to build trust with the investing public. Uh, it's something that can never be taken for granted. It's better now, but it's still not where it could or should be. Two, it's not about complexity. It's about being presenting things in a way that's simple to consume and to understand. And as good as we feel about presenting complexity, and I was just reading an article about two firms, digital firms, arguing about their algorithms and the outcomes and the predictions, and I could see people just glazing over thinking about this argument. So simple is important. And then, as always, alpha is important, but outcomes are much more important than alpha. So get me to where I want to go and allow me to fill in the blank with my financial resources and I'll be a happy, satisfied client. That's great. Terrific. Good words to uh, to go out on. One last thing, though, uh, as we've done each week with our uh, with our guests on, on our podcast, uh, what's something that uh, you do outside of your day-to-day work life uh, and uh, you do for fun or passionate about or something you're particularly interested in you like to share with our, our audience? Well, there's several, but I think the most important, um, I'm passionate for helping people who who are afflicted by cancer. And so literally in the last two weeks, one last night, I try to make introductions, allow people to get to the most capable care in in a very quick and efficient way so that they can you know, begin the process of battling, beating, and, and, and thriving after cancer diagnosis. So I personally feel very good that I can help people take a very, very uh, concerning challenge and issue and at least make the path towards healing easier and, and simpler and focus on outcomes. So the same advice for those people. 
That's great. Well, thank you. I know you're on the board of the Jimmy V Foundation, and uh, I'm sure that's where a lot of that work takes place. So that's uh, appreciated as uh, as a citizen. So thank you very much for that. So uh, to our guests, I want to say thank you for listening in. I also want to thank John for a great conversation and uh, in illuminating for sure. For those of you who are listening to our podcast, uh, if you would be kind enough to rate, review, and share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck, that would be wonderful. Uh, we have a great audience and listenership, and uh, it ever expands. So uh, please share the good word. And John, thanks again. It's been a real pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Great. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com. <laughs>